Podcast. This is your boy Rodney Perry King himself, and you just tuned into the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being humans. And today is a special one because we're gonna have such such a healthy, hearty conversation about something that I personally, you know, deal with on the day-to-day basis, and so many of us, all of us, deal with on the day-to-day basis. We're talking about hair. We're talking about just and what that means, what that expression, what that holds. So I have a very special guest who has dedicated a lot of her energy into the very topic. But not only this, several other topics. I want everyone to welcome St. Clair Dietrich Jules to the program. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm uh, So. Cause I just I looked I looked into all of you know all the little things I could find about you, but I would love if you tell the people exactly who you are and what you do. Yeah, so my name is Saint Clair. I'm from Washington D.C., born and raised. Um, my dad is um, he's from a little island in the Caribbean called Saint Bart's. Um, so he's Afro Caribbean, and then my mom is American, and. Um, so I'm really proud of like my Afro-Caribbean side, my black side. Um, it took a while getting to that point, but now I'm like, I'm very, very proud of my blackness. Um, I grew up, yeah, in Washington, D.C. before it was gentrified. So while it was still known as, you know, we the called Chaka it Chocolate City. City. <laughs> hey, that's yeah, good. Exactly. That's People good. now call it like Chocolate Chip City. Oh, now that's not, that's kind of funny, but that's not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Chips Ahoy. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, so I am a photographer, filmmaker, activist. I graduated from Brown in 2017 uh, with a degree in uh, French and Francophone studies. So, kind of unrelated. Francophone. Oh, is that like an instrument? No, so yeah, it does kind of sound like that, right? Uh, Francophone is like French speaking, so French speaking countries. Oh my God. So mm-hmm. is Saint, you said Saint Bart's, right? Yeah. Is Saint Bart's, uh, I guess, was it a French um, colony of sorts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What inspired you to do that? Yeah, it's French territory. So yeah, I mean, in my classes, we didn't really learn about Saint Bart's just because it's such a small island and the history is pretty unknown actually um there's a lot of like mystery involving like what actually happened how the first black people got there that kind of stuff but we learned about like the neighboring islands and so i felt like through learning about guadalupe saint martin places like that i was able to learn more about my own heritage in a way and like haiti for example oh i love that i love that so much (laughs) that is so (laughs) dope um so so you're fluent i assume then Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's Thank cool. You. Is that the only language? Is that the only uh, additional language that you know? 
Uh, I speak Spanish also. You know what? See, th- why is that a thing? Is that a thing? <laughs> like, I genuinely believe that people who, especially if they've studied a language, it's almost like, let me just go ahead and pick up another one real quick. You know, it seemed <laughs> like they just, while, I, while I'm out here, just got my mind open to, you know, a whole new syntax and semantics yeah. and a whole another language. Why not just go ahead and spread some more, you know, make some room for something else, you know? Exactly. And French and Spanish are so similar in a lot of ways. So. Shoot. Yeah. Man, I just want to learn. I want to know how to, I want to learn how to speak the one that I speak better you know i want to i think it's i think it's beautiful and interesting at the same time but before we get too deep into your story because i definitely want you to expound on your story um let's first start with a segment that i like to call the twitter check-in the twitter check-in is my somewhat pop culture segment that i like to bring in every bring in every week to keep everything's timely and i love twitter so much and it's always something going on that needs to be spoken on that crossed the TL. So the Twitter check-in is a very special one today because yes, yeah, so the Twitter check-in for today is one um, a story that I believe a lot of people have actually gotten behind and has definitely made a lot of different, you know, kind of uh, impressions on the waves of the internet. Now, mm-hmm. if you're not familiar, one of the newest hosts, cause she's really been on the show for, I believe several months now, has been Gabrielle Union, has been one of the newest hosts on America's Got Talent. I believe it's on NBC. And essentially there was multiple controversies that essentially happened all at once. It's a, it's a cesspool of just problematic. Jay Leno essentially um, came onto the show and made some very offensive remarks, very racist uh, jokes towards uh, the Asian community. And essentially, Gabrielle Union being one of the only hosts to speak out against and tell, you know, producers and, and all these different people that these things happen, these things were recorded. I don't think this is something that we should put on television, which they didn't even air. Mm-hmm. But right after that, they essentially made a fuss with her, had brought her in, you know, made a whole HR complaint to say that they had a lot of problems with her, one of those problems being her hair. Said so that her hair, it's just, they don't understand it changes too much. Yeah. You know, it's it's too black. You know, I think they implied that saying it at without saying it. And I would love to know if you have been keeping up with this story and what do you think about this new Converse, I think, because I believe it never was. I feel like it was a silent conversation about your how your hair is at work, especially being a person of color, especially yeah. being black specifically. I would love to know your, you know, how you feel about this story and 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 all the things included in, in this new conversation of wearing your hair at work, <laughs> which shouldn't be a story, but it is. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy that these kinds of things make headlines like, oh, a black woman wears, you know, a natural hairstyle or an Afrocentric hairstyle to work. You know, it's crazy that that's newsworthy. Um, but it is because there's so much discrimination and there's legal discrimination against it as well. And, you know, mm-hmm. like with dreadlocks, Afros and um, <clears throat> I've been seeing a lot of those stories recently um, about like black women and men sometimes also yeah. um, getting 
you know, suspended from school, getting fired because of their hairstyles. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's really, it's really crazy that that's happening in, um, in response to that. Some states and cities have passed, um, I think it's called the Crown Act and excuse me, the Crown Act basically says that, you know, black people can wear their natural hair or Afrocentric hairstyles to work right without discrimination um or they can't um yeah so they can't be fired for it and i mean on the one hand it's great that that's happening it's great that people are really saying you know what no we need to make sure that black people and their natural hair are protected you know um but it is sad that we need a law a law to make that happen yeah and that it's and that it's a controversial law and that it's a law that's only in a couple places right now Mm -hmm. you know so i mean i think I mean, I think what's what Gabrielle Union is going through is really disheartening, but it's not it's not surprising. It's not because I feel like black women have always been made to feel like we are less than, you know, even when the law is written or like the employee contract or whatever is written in a way in a like race neutral way. Mm-hmm. Um it's still manipulated or it's still written in a way that can be used to target black people, you know? Yeah. It's usually spoken in the default of whiteness. Yeah. um, I do think, for me, I think, I I would say that I'm sensitive about the topic, but I think I've certainly figured out my own way of uh, standing my ground with um, this specific area um, in terms of just how you are at work and what's professional and all those different things. And I think it's a somewhat of a silent battle that I feel like I've been fighting for 11 years as long as I've had my own locks. Because yeah. for me, um, I study I studied business in school, so that was something that constantly came up on, like, so, you know, I know this is just a phase. This is just, you know, kind of just some cool young thing to do right now. But, you know, you know, once you get into the real world or once you – want you know to acquire whatever job or whatever it may be that this must change like you must um change this you know change your hairstyle and do something that's you know more professional as they would say mm-hmm. and i guess for me i always took it as very insulting just because um not for the simple fact of not accepting or not or being you know ignorant to just i guess culture but more so that it was seen as unprofessional so that it, it didn't have a place in this in, in anything, you know? And I guess yeah. that was the part that made it very insulting to me because it's like, I am studying business. I plan to, if it, it I don't even know where I, at that point, I didn't even know exactly where I was going to be. Whatever it is, most likely is going to be in an office. I'm mm-hmm. not going to be working machinery. I'm not going to be, doing a lot of different things where having long hair may cause me or someone else some type of danger. I am literally sitting at a desk, like, typing. How is this unprofessional? How does this get into the way for the job that's required? And I think that is just seeped into anti-blackness, into racism, into white supremacy that I just cannot get away from when you have these things. And I do agree with you that I think that it's um, sad that we, that someone even at that height has to go through that. Cause you, cause I believe there 
there's always been this kind of air within America that once you reach a certain status, reach a certain height, um, pass through certain hurdles that you don't have to deal with these types of uh, adversities. But yet here we are, yet a person who is extremely recognizable where I've even heard that, you know, the statistics on their show actually went up with adding her to the show. So she was a great addition to the show, making their viewership even increase and make interaction with their viewers increase. So because she's obviously the most visible, she's obviously the most uh, probably well-known in terms of the base of people that they want to actually catch. No one, no one Mm -hmm. under the age of 20 knows who Simon Cowell and Howard (laughs) Mandel is, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one knows it. People, they don't even know who Jay Leno is. They would just been thinking that some old dude is making a racist joke if they <laughs> made, made it to TV. But we yeah. for damn sure know who Gabrielle Union is, starring in movies that we've seen recently. This is Dwayne Wade's wife. She's a movie star in her own right and has had a career way before uh, a lot of us even really came to appreciate the talent that she is. So I think it's a sad thing. But uh, But let's dive into you and your work because I believe it's a beautiful segue. So I love how you spoke about your I love how you spoke about your, you know, your your upbringing as well as kind of your, your just your cultural makeup. And I would love to know, I guess, because you said something that it was interesting to me that you said you feel like it took you some time to kind of, I guess, embrace or or really tap into, or really, uh, get, I, I can't remember the words that you used when it came to just black culture in general. I'm assuming yeah. if it was, I'm not sure if it was, uh, I, guess, I'm, I guess, what exactly do you mean when you say that? Was it more of a kind of uh, African-American perspective, or was it kind of getting in touch with the roots that you knew that were in, you know, in the Caribbean, or what What exactly did you mean by that? Mm, yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I guess, Excuse me. I guess I've always felt, um, you know, I, I, I do feel connected to my Caribbean roots, but, um, you know, on my dad's side of the family, my dad was the only one who was here in the States with us. And mm. so, and we, you know, I grew up in a mostly African-American neighborhood. And so I really didn't, um, I really just saw blackness as african-american because um like the only really black person i knew who wasn't was my dad and um so yeah i i I wasn't like super connected to my caribbean roots even though i did you know we did visit and stuff like that um but yeah so i think just in general i sort of like lumped you know blackness together and i mostly was thinking about african-americans um and yeah it did take me a while to love my blackness. I went to, I went to a majority white elementary school for six years. Mm -hmm. Um, and like looking back, you know, my mom says that that's where I lost a lot of confidence, um, which is interesting because before that I wanted my mom to, you know, do braids in my hair. I liked cornrows. Um, and I was just a really confident little kid in general. And then I got to my majority white elementary school. And over those years, I just, um, really started disliking my hair, my skin color, my body. Um, I remember like looking at everybody else and, you know, everybody, most other people had a white mom and a white dad. And I was like, oh, but I have a white mom, but, you know, my dad isn't 
white and and it's so crazy but I was just so like wanting to be like everybody else I was like oh you know I wish my dad was white also you know not in that I didn't want my dad to be my dad but just that I but just that I like wished he was white you know and and that's crazy but that's what I was around all the time and so um high school was high school was better but it wasn't until I got to college um that I really really started embracing my blackness and there's a really strong black community at Brown. Um, and there's a lot of, (laughs) it's it's in Rhode Island, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's in Rhode Island. And and, you know, it has to be. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's sort of like, I mean, it's a blessing and a curse, you know, I mean, because there's so we're such the minority on campus Mm -hmm. that we really have to, have to together. stick together yeah. yeah oh my god oh my god that is sorry that was a lot <laughs> it, it is well i mean i think we're in an interesting time now and i think you know i'm not i'm not sure i'm not sure how old you are but i it's it's i, I can assume that you have noticed the change in culture in terms of the conversation about uh being biracial and what that looks like and if that, you know, and what um, certain adversities and um, and obstacles that people have to go through from in terms, especially in terms of identity. I feel like for the people that I know who are biracial or multiracial, that's usually like regardless of, you know, who what's the makeup of your parents, what's the makeup of, you know, all these different things. I think the part that seems to be the most vital is um, the identity portion. And, and there definitely seems to be a heavy dose on kind of where you fit in and that kind the constant question of if you fit in and, and you're, and you don't feel like yourself and the pe- when you, the, the group of people that you want to be around still make you feel like you're different or ostracized, I think is a very uh, interesting thing. But I do think conversations are starting, you know, who would have thought that it would be a show called Mixedish on uh, yeah. television? You know, um, I don't think I would have guessed that. I don't think I would have guessed that because I think um, for so long, um, most people just consider themselves black, and we kind of all just pressured individuals to do the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there still is that pressure, especially when you, you know, we we have you know funny jokes about it. You know, which one are you? Are you kind of like a Rashida Jones? biracial or you like a tracy ellis ross biracial you know like which one is it you know because i do believe those uh having a certain aesthetic definitely comes with a different um walk in life you know Mm -hmm. it's a different way that you can move around when you look a certain way or you present in a specific way and um i think there's a pressure put on to people who are biracial to no matter how you look, to claim your shit, you know, to like, mm-hmm. regardless of what people assume about you, if yeah. you're claiming it, we're good, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> just please, please do not come on, you know, go anywhere, go anywhere and just say, no, I'm not, I just only, you know, I'm, I'm not even this thing that I obviously look like that I am, but I'm this. Yeah. Um, I do want to know. So I guess with that happening in terms of, you know, I guess because, you know, moms are moms are the ones who, quote unquote, usually are, the, you know, the homemakers, unless you had a very, very interesting uh, household where your father no. did your hair. 
<laughs> I would love to know, I guess, because you wanted those, you know, you wanted those uh, those braids and, and different designs in your hair and, and, you know, things like that when you were at a younger age until you got into a certain part of middle school. I guess mm-hmm. what in your childhood, uh, I, guess, I guess, made you want... Oh, I guess who could do that for you? Like, was there just certain family members or was your did your mom literally just do her due diligence to learn how to do that, to be able to even offer that as an option for you? Yeah, I mean, it was, um, I mean, my mom, because my dad, I mean, again, my dad is the only um, family member I have from that side here in the States. And so, um, so all of my other family here is white. Um, yeah. Um, in the chocolate city. I know. <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a black neighborhood, though, that's what's interesting. Yeah. So my mom actually, like, my mom is very, um, like, my mom, I mean, she's white, but she's very pro-black. And she mm-hmm. um, has dedicated, like, so much of her time. Like, I, I feel like she's such a great ally to the black community. Like, she's dedicated yeah. years and years and years of just learning about systemic racism, learning yeah. about the true history of America, yeah. learning about um our education system and the you know racism that's an anti-blackness that's rooted within it's that and of, it's somewhat of obligation now don't you think yeah like just once you when you when you literally have made a part in creating another black person <laughs> it was good it's good <laughs> to know something <laughs> yeah i'm really happy about that because you know, she's always, you know, I, I know some people who are, you know, when they're biracial, both their parents want them to identify as, you know, whatever they are. But, mm. um, you know, my mom has never, my mom has always told me, like, you're black, you're black, you know, and like, you need to be proud of your blackness because, I mean, yeah, and especially with the one drop rule, like, I mean, that's our history, you know, if you have one drop of blackness, you're black and, yeah. um, you know, no white person is going to accept you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or like see you as one of them. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And, um, you know, my mom did learn how to do like some braids and cornrows from our neighbors who were, you know, who were black, like our next door neighbor was a black woman and she had, uh, two girls a little older than me. And so sometimes we would all sit on the front porch. Our moms would do our hair, things like that. I love it. Like she taught my mom how to cornrow. So, I am really grateful that my mom, you know, definitely, she definitely, I think, did a good job. And, you know, before I started having a uniform, she would sometimes dress me in, in like, Afrocentric, um, I don't know the word for it, like, the big scarves, but the kind that kind of act like dresses, like, they cover your whole body, you know? Mm, I do like know what you're talking about. I'm not sure the name, though. <laughs> yeah, I do know what you're talking about, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I yeah. So, my mom always did... Um, always did that kind of stuff but i think a lot of it was just going to that elementary school that was that's That's funny yeah that's (laughs) that's a very that's a very funny and interesting visual as a whole uh i think the the new phrase at least from that i've seen um when i was like really shopping around in uh, in the market for look for a new therapist for just a therapist for the first time actually Mm-hmm. It was a phrase that I seen in the description that I think is the best way to describe what your mom is, and that's culturally competent. And mm-hmm. um, and I think there that's a good way to describe people who actually, because I believe the the competent part of it is there's an action to it. There's like work mm-hmm. that needs to be done. There's uh, there's some actual commitment to understand and to be open to truly be competent at something that that's to me, that's what that is. Like you're, you're competent at a, you know, at a new 
language other than the one that you first learned because you mm-hmm. have a grasp on it, you have an understanding, you can talk about it, you can you know do all those different things. And so it's a beautiful thing that um, not only did your mom push for you to identify heavily with you know the side of you that you may not get to see much of because of you know who who a lot of your family was but your your community and and just your just how you are and what you look and how people are going to even treat you I think that's very smart I think that's very loving too because yeah I, I believe you know the, the identity to me I believe a lot of the identity crisis for a lot of my colleagues and friends who are biracial I think it has a lot to do with that uh that kind of coddling of identity kind of like, you know, you can be whatever you want to be. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. You can, you know, you're my baby, you know, you're, you're, you're a God's gift to show that, you know, racism isn't just a sickness in the world. Like it doesn't matter. Like I, I think that, you know, type of, I think it's imaginative. I think it's optimistic to, to kind of approach things like that. But I also think it's, um, fleeting because, um, you're only passing down this uh, this energy of like it's gonna be okay because you know everything's good. You going you covered. You you good. You know. And I think once real life hits and those real experiences come about and people judge, I, I I've known so many people who because I went to I went to HBCU, mm-hmm. so there was a lot of people who chose to you know, chose to come to my HBCU and also choose to go to a lot of different HBCUs for the fact of, like, they wanted to get more in touch with them, their roots. They wanted to be around people that look like them and only people that look like them to hopefully find those parts of themselves or understand the parts of themselves they feel like they didn't get um, enough of in their adolescence. And I believe uh, that's a beautiful journey. And I'm glad that you kind of made... It, it seemed that your sense of identity and your sense of blackness was somewhat nurtured the whole time, regardless, regardless of the internal, um, probably struggle that you may have experienced. If that even occurred at all, I'm not sure you, yeah, definitely. Been, you might've been a side of your whole life. I don't know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but no, nevertheless, I do want to know, I guess, as you got into when, as you gotten, you know, got into Brown and was matriculating through Brown, I would love to know, I guess, because you said you got more into the, your culture and all these different things. And I, I would assume, especially, you know, with you probably traveling and learning this language and also probably want to go and speak the language. I guess mm-hmm. what things did you do in terms of your hair and just overall aesthetic to truly kind of reach back, touch, touch get into and really uh, immerse yourself in those things? Did you kind of change your hair a lot? Did you do the big chop? Like a lot of ladies do <laughs> uh, when they're in college, you know, to really to really go go hard with it. I guess what yeah. were some of the things that you did during that time in college that you felt like I'm really getting back into? Or I'm not even getting back into. I'm getting into who I am and the parts of who I am. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I um I have a lot of friends and a couple. Yeah, I have a lot of friends um from college who like went natural the first year. You know did the big chop the first or second yeah. year of college. So it's yeah. a really common experience. Very common. I um I never like relaxed my hair. Okay. Um which I think, you know, is I'm lucky because <laughs> it's a whole process going natural after that. Um so I never relaxed my hair partly just because I mean in high school especially I was just so focused on my schoolwork all the time, all the time, all the time that my appearance was just kind of always like 
last a last priority you know and, and that What's included hair? my hair yeah. um but i did but i did always like not like it in high school really like i always i always like like i never cared i mean i straightened it sometimes but i always in the back of my head was like oh i wish my hair was straight i wish that it was naturally straight i wish that it was straight all the time mm-hmm. you know and whenever i did straighten it in um in high school i always felt like you know, like, oh, I did, like, I do look more beautiful like this. And then um, when I went to college, I, you know, just seeing so many black women with natural hair, because my high school, like most of the women, most of the black girls straighten their hair um, in my high school and middle school. And then when I got to college and there were so many black girls who were natural already or who were going natural, um, that was just really inspiring to me. And, and I don't know, it just clicked for me. Like that blackness is so beautiful. And then with all of the activism going around on campus, you know, I, I was lucky enough that I was really, uh, educated in terms of our history, our history as black people, our current situation, and just learning about really, truly everything we've been through and everything we've continued, you know, everything we continue to go through, um, just really made me see, the beauty in in blackness and everything that comes with it and so um yeah and then i mean that includes that includes our hair and so you know now i don't straighten my hair for special events anymore you know because i know a lot of people straighten their hair for special events because you know they feel like oh this is when i have to be the most beautiful but for me now you know i just leave my hair natural because i feel like yes this is me um it doesn't matter if it's a formal event you know um and i really do yeah so i so in terms of what i do with my hair it's not that different but i really love it more and i appreciate it so much more than i did when i was in high school okay okay was it a learning process in terms of um I guess of learning more about it if it, if you were very laxed about kind of how things were just because your your parents and just being busy and being so into school once you got into college was there a hurdle you know did you learn like damn they all really are putting everything in the kitchen sink in y'all hair to make you know make things happen <laughs> was there any kind of learning curve when it when you finally was like I'm gonna get into this I want to try new things I'm gonna do you know this this way or this that way I guess was there because I I've I always thought it was intriguing to find out that there is this kind of um, this journey to learn like what your hair likes, what for if you are going for a certain look, how to create that look for whatever, you know, um, grade of hair that you have. I I think Mm -hmm. I would love to know if there if there was any um, learning curve in terms of getting into that and just expressing that. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think for me. Not so much. I think about that sometimes. I'm like, I really should, like, especially, you know, with the project I'm working on, I'm like, I really should learn um, more what my hair likes. But my hair is, um, it's, I'm not sure exactly what curl pattern it is, but mm-hmm. it's definitely like a looser curl pattern. And so, okay. um, yeah, so I, so I pretty much just like condition my hair and brush it. I don't really use like products or anything but I know that for a lot of people and I know that like for my siblings you know whose hair you know they all have tighter curls than I do so I think that for them it's it'll be a learning process for hell sure yeah. hell yeah hell yeah I, I <laughs> it's I've been I've had locks for 11 years now and uh-huh. I've probably been probably learned 
actually how to do my own hair, just to retwist my own hair, probably in like maybe the second or third year I had them. And um, it's definitely been a journey from things falling out to twisting too much to not twisting enough to things Mm -hmm. getting interlocked accidentally and on purpose. It was a lot of different um, lessons and lessons and things. But I, I, I think um, it's interesting that, you know, this is the work that you're choosing to kind of get into, to express and to document. I think um, it has been a very, uh, I think you it's it's really not, you really can't even call it a trend at this point because I believe it's a pretty cemented culture in terms of just natural hair and natural hair and beauty and just things being organic and just all those things being real and presenting yourself in your just bare, your bareness, you know, I think it's uh, already shown to be, you know, a billion dollar business that, you know, you know, sadly a lot of, a lot of black women are entering into, but don't own most of, but are Mm -hmm. the, you know, the biggest consumers of and have always been the biggest consumers of before the, the, I guess the natural hair wave kind of, you know, really cemented itself to be something that's really going to be around forever. It's at least that's how it seems to me. Um, do you feel that, you know, I guess that's my question. Do you feel like that's what it is, that it's something that's cemented within the culture? Or do you believe that we're still kind of in that trendy phase of, of what natural hair, the, the, just the natural hair scene as a whole? Yeah, that's a good question. And that's something that I've talked to a lot of, a lot of, people about um i definitely think i hope it's more than just a trend you know um and i think that only time will tell but i think that i mean if it is a trend it's a really beautiful trend and i hope that it sticks around and i hope that you know because it's more than just wearing your hair natural you know like with wearing your hair natural comes confidence comes power um comes just sort of like a uh an understanding of the self you know and so i think that Mm -hmm. those things are more lasting than than like a a hairstyle for example you know and so i think that i'm hoping that those will be you know passed down like that feeling of confidence that feeling of self-love that that will continue to be passed down among among black people um and inevitably you know they so they sort of go together like you know, inevitably, like, the natural hair movement will continue, like, with all of those positive things. Um, yeah, so I think only time will tell, but yeah. I I think that, I mean, a lot of people who I've talked to who are natural just absolutely love it, and I've just heard of so many people um, who share their natural hair stories, and then they encourage other people to go natural, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like a positive cycle of one person saying, oh, I like your afro, and then that person goes natural, and they compliment someone else, and they encourage someone else to do the big chop. And so I think, I mean, it seems like it's po- like you know, it's going in a positive direction to me. Yes, I agree. I've, I've literally gotten a discount at a Kroger one time for complimenting um, this lady at the counter. <laughs> wow. She had a beautiful fro. And yeah. she was like, I was going to say the same thing about your locks. And then she did some typing up. And I, that Talenti uh, gelato was a little bit less than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and I was appreciative. You know, I feel like I went back there and I couldn't find her. But uh, great hair she had, though. She had beautiful hair. And I do I do want to know, like, 
because I do think that um, there is, I guess the reason why in my mind I feel like it's going to be something that's truly cemented within the culture and just is a mainstay is because to me there seems to not only be a resurgence in, you know, people want to go natural, but people understanding that taking the lesson of I need to take care of my hair in the best way. Regardless of whatever way you choose to present it as, if you even if you wear wigs, if you still wear weaves, all these different things, I think I've at least heard out loud more conversation about regardless of however I'm presenting myself, the hair that is mine needs to be healthy. It needs to be, you know, well kept and maintained regardless of however I'm wearing, you know, wearing my hair out. Um, from protect, you know, I never heard of protective styles and and all these different things until you know recent years. Even though these things, when once the people showed me what protective styles, well, I was like, oh y'all, I've always done this, but um, <laughs> I didn't know y'all was protecting anything. But I get it, you know. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful thing, I guess. Um, my next question is, I guess, so do you believe that the resurgence of kind of you know the celebrity interest and just a lot of public interest is something that people should just kind of support or still be somewhat kind of mindful of because no one wants to be exploited. No one wants to feel like y'all are jumping on this now when, you know, we really, cause I, I, I do, I do feel like it's always that energy of um, like, we've been asking for this. We've been wanting this and now you're doing it. Do you, have you noticed within your kind of in all of your interviews and within the work that you, you know, accumulated that there is some energy of that, like where now they're getting it. Now they're understanding, like we've been telling them we needed these things. Have you heard any of those types of things? When you say exploited, do you mean like exploited by Um, popular media or like by white people or? Popular media, uh, popular media, large companies um, that aren't owned by, you know, that aren't owned by black black people or just people of color in general who are actually going to be utilizing these products i guess mm-hmm. do you have you noticed people either saying like look i'm just going to support like like for instance the um this the controversy that happened around um shea moisture i believe um yeah. several several years ago and i know a lot of people still honestly use shea moisture because they they've found some connections that it works for them with their hair and they just probably don't want to you know brand loyalty but I think it, there has been a lot of conversation around um, kind of the uh, how you sell to like, you know, that like everyone knows who's buying these things. Everyone knows who's the majority consumer of the Shea Moistures and the Cantus and some of these major uh, brands. But yet there is this energy of like when it comes to doing public, you know, campaigns and marketing campaigns, it does sometimes feel like a slap in the face to the person who we know is buying the thing because they're always introducing, well, look, this isn't just for black women and this just isn't this, that, and the third. And it's like, damn, black women can't have nothing by themselves for themselves, you know? I guess that's what I mean in that conversation, like in the conversations that you've had, have you heard anything about that? Like the, just trying to find ways to keep black women just buying things and without asking questions, just keep buying our stuff regardless of if we support you or not, if we really care for you or not, all those different types of things. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the women I, I interviewed was saying, um, she was talking about the shame moisture controversy and them mm-hmm. saying, you know, this isn't just for, this isn't just for, um, 
you know, black people. It's for anybody. Um, and she was upset about that. I haven't, um, not that many people have brought it up, but I mean, I definitely think it's, um, I, yeah, I think I agree. Like it's, it's sad. It's like black people can't have anything for ourselves, you know, like even a product, it always has to be like at least, um, somewhat marketable to other races as well because if it's just like a black people thing then no one will then people won't buy it or they won't respect it or whatever you know um and i think that's definitely like the wrong way to go about it and i mean we saw with for example black panther like that was you know a black movie and and everybody loved it and it was so you know especially you know dark-skinned black women leads with you know, short, natural, Afrocentric hairstyles. Um, I think we really flocked to that movie because it's like, yeah, we've we've been waiting, like we've been craving something that represents us, that is for us, you know. And so I think that, um, yeah, I mean, same with Rihanna's, you know, Fenty makeup brand. How she, mm-hmm. yeah, how she, how she was, you know, she had makeup for darker skinned black women as well darker skinned black people and so mm-hmm. and she's you know stepping that, yeah. on the oldest brands out <laughs> like she's stepping <laughs> on very old brands like she's making waves with that and all she did was just widening the spectrum it's oh, what yeah. a concept oh you guys wear makeup too it's interesting mm-hmm. and now i think like other brands like kylie cosmetics and other brands now are in Introducing darker shades as well. Now yes. that they see, oh, this oh. is marketable, you know, oh. not because they love black women, but because you know they, you know, dark skin women exist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's a weird energy. I guess I, I I'm I'm definitely a a spook and conspiracy theorist when it comes to stuff like that. Just because I like, I just really want you know black women to win in terms of things. I feel like we should win in, um, and that they should win in because it's like. Things like, you know, like the music industry and with hair, with certain, you know, food industries, certain things that we know why this is a part of American culture. I would love to know that the people who are, you know, making the most from it are people of, you know, are black people or people of color or whomever, whatever that culture is. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it like really baffles me. I believe it was... um I think it was the Good Hair documentary. I'm not sure if you ever seen that. Oh, I love Chris that Rock. Movie. Yeah, great. it's a great, 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 great piece of work, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, that documentary style, but him, but him going around and finding out about, you know, who are the owners of this industry, who are the, you know, proprietors of this industry, and find out that you know that this industry is, you know, kind of led by people who aren't really, really, you know, not I wouldn't even say for us, but I would say more so exploiting some of the worst parts of us, you know, the, 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 I think they feed into, you know, the anti-blackness that could be present in the black community into uh, Eurocentric ideals in turn in the, uh, that are just a rapid amongst American culture. I think that is the, the kind of the nucleus that I don't really agree with. And that like really makes me feel a way because I shouldn't have to go to, the store and go to a specific section, you know, yeah. to mm-hmm. find all the things that I may need and still might not find what I'm looking for. Um, just because they only got a certain amount of shelf space for these types of things, you know? Yeah. Um, or I have to, you know, or it being, you know, I had like beauty supply stores being, you know, placed 
all over in certain neighborhoods, but you know, those are still not even owned by us. I always thought that was extremely intriguing to me because it's like, why can't, like, why aren't we in this? You know, why aren't we a part of this specific business? We know everything about it. We know we're the ones who are make, who are making them buy the things that are needed to even run this business. Like, why aren't we a part of this business? And um, it it always baffled me. I'm like, why is this a thing? But before I keep rambling, um, my next question is, um, in terms, I think another thing that you see in terms of kind of like media, in terms of just hair and things like that, like you speak on your texture being, you know, this loose curl. And I think very often I've noticed this, um, this dialogue occurring about not only colorism, but also kind of texturism within yeah. the, uh, within the natural hair community, because there seems to be, um, definitely this kind of, you know, very palatable, um, natural spokeswoman, like that archetype usually is this fair skinned woman with these real nice bouncy curls. And, you know, and I think when people have put up natural, that's usually the face that's been put up as, you know, this is what natural looks like, you know, Carol's daughter and here we (laughs) are. And this is what it is. And people, you know, people who look like something. And I think I love how, you know, um, how Tracy Ellis Ross handled her campaign and her like putting out her campaign, letting it be known that this, like, I'm not putting out things for just people who have hair like mine, but hair that is like all, you know, all different textures. I think that was the best way to handle uh, to handle that and be literally for with that because it's like this is what it is about. If I want everybody to use my product, I need to make a product that everybody can actually use. Mm -hmm. Um, And also let it be known that this is for you in every single way from the marketing to everything. What do you think about that being um, because I'm not sure if you noticed that, but that's what I've seen as the kind of the the archetype woman of you know natural hair care being that kind of fair-skinned woman with this kind of you know light lighter kind of looser curl um, on television screens and on ads and things like that to promote natural hair care products i guess what do you think about that and have you gotten any feedback on on any of that if you if you even asked that question to any of the people that you've spoken to yeah definitely i mean i think um texturism or i don't know whatever you want to call it i think it's definitely a thing in the natural hair community. And I think that that's something that I'm, that I'm, that I think about often, um, because my hair, you know, cause I am, I guess like privileged in that, in that context, in the context of like the natural hair movement and texture. Um, and I think it is, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I think that, you know, lighter skinned black women with looser curl patterns are often put at the forefront of the natural hair movement. Um, they get more screen time, whether that be like ads or television shows or movies, you know. Um, and, you know, darker skinned black women with tighter curl patterns, afros are, you know, still really not represented as much you know like I think about the media and I think of okay Lupita Nyong'o you know she's like the one person who comes to the top of my head and I think um I mean I think that's why her presence is so important because it shows because she's showing you know 4C hair is beautiful dark skin is beautiful you know and Mm -hmm. she's giving that representation and um I think that you know when I was working on this project a lot of people did 
you know, a lot of the women who I interviewed did talk about um, texturism and like their place within the natural hair community. You know, one one of the women was saying that um, her hair, her curls are a bit looser than her sister's curls. And so when she went natural, when this woman went natural, um, her mom had, you know, a positive response to it. But then when her sister went natural, her sister's hair is a little bit, um, her curls are a little bit tighter. And so her mom's reaction was totally different to her sister going natural. Mm. And so she was talking about that, you know, like she feels like, you know, the need to stick up for her sister and say, Hey, no, you know, like her hair is beautiful too, you know, um, like all natural hair is, is beautiful. And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's a really important piece of the conversation. And as I was working on this project, um, I took a break like halfway through and I looked back at all the, all the photographs that I had of black women with natural hair. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, I look at my sister, my sister has definitely like a, a very tight curl pattern. And I was like, okay, I think that I really need to actively get, um, you know, I need to actively include more black women with, um, with Afros, darker skinned black women. And so after a certain point, I mainly like so solely focused on those women just because they're so underrepresented. Um, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I do think they should be at the forefront, you know, because there are just so many more layers to unpack, you know, I I agree. I agree. And, perfect segue i think um the reasoning is because of that's why i believe really truly believe in the messaging of the work that you're creating with uh dear chloe because there's you know children growing up today exposed to so much more than what i believe you know past generations have been exposed to in a very very rampant high high intensity type of way. You know, I have nieces okay. who are constantly on their iPads. You know, the interest that children have in certain things like they literally are watching people play games, they're watching people just <laughs> watching people just play on YouTube, yeah. you know, like they're just watching other children just do playful things. And I think um in in addition to that, I can only imagine the images that they see constantly on the t- on the television, all these different things that we all are seeking, you know, ourselves in what we're viewing and what we consume a lot of. And so I believe, you know, to that, to that young, you know, dark skinned girl with this, you know, real tight curl who, you know, it's sad to say that she's entering to a world where people don't accept her, you know, her, her aesthetic. There are people who still feel ways about how she came into this world. And I think to let it be known that there are, that people have already walked into her footsteps. People already understand the struggles that they that she may go through. I think that's what makes the messaging of everything that you're doing so beautiful, and um, and so you. necessary. Because I can I I don't know how to you know instruct my nieces and and, and also teach my nephew to appreciate you know the, the the hair that literally grows out of their scalp because and to drive the point home that this is a part of them to appreciate a part of you, you know, to not reject a part of you. You are, you know, specifically designed in the way that you are and the grade of hair that you have only speaks to your individuality as well. And mm-hmm. um, and being somebody who has hair, who, who maintains and keeps their hair, 
on their own and all these different things. It really, I don't, I don't think I think about it as much, but it definitely, um, um, matters and holds a lot of weight on how I want to present the, 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 the presence that I feel like I want to project out when I walk into a room. I think I, I know I give a different vibe. I know it's a different energy. I know I can like truly gauge the room based off of, you know, how people kind of perceive or what connotations they already have on what's on my head. And then, um, I don't know, it informs a lot for me. And yeah. I can only imagine how it is for, for black women that, on day to day, especially working in any professional field, you walking into the room or changing your hair every other, you know, every other day, every other week, whenever you choose to, and then, and, and there being this energy of like, well, damn, why are you doing that? Or how do you do that? And making that a conversation. I never make my hair a conversation. People ask me to make it a conversation. Um, and I always think that's a very strange thing because people don't ever realize you don't ever do this with anyone else for anything else. If, yeah. if you like a person's haircut, it's a compliment. It's a two-second conversation, beginning and end. For me, it's a dialogue. It's a it's a it's a it's a, a play, you know, where it's like, oh, I don't know, and oh, can I touch, and all those different things, and um, and no one wants to go down that route. No one wants to have that conversation. But yeah. I do want to know, um, out of some of the, you know, the for the, because you say you, um, I believe you say you interviewed about a hundred women. Mm-hmm, yeah. And you're, fun fact, you are my second guest to have done something of this feat. <laughs> and I think that's extremely dope. Um, I had Corey Fells on um, about two two years ago where he essentially did a similar, similar thing but a different subject matter. But he, 100 women within the Minneapolis uh, uh, area, where uh, well no Milwaukee area where he you know essentially compiled all of them and essentially he implied that all of these women and their personalities and their own personal stories and characteristics essentially made up his mother who uh who's now deceased and he it was a tribute to her but it was this beautiful exhibit that he created I guess I want to know um obviously you know you were inspired by the connection with you and your you and your sister for this but i guess what other inspirations led you to feel that you needed to create put a number behind it put a quantify the amount of stories that you need to collect what made you choose that route to be able to tell to be able to tell the story that you wanted to tell yeah i mean i think i i definitely didn't start out thinking it was going to be a hundred women i thought it was going to be a lot fewer okay um but the more I, you know, I thought maybe like 50 top, but the more I interviewed women, photographed them, the more, um, I don't know, just, just the more I realized how many different stories there are. And like, you know, a lot of the stories are very similar, like they're similar threads in terms of the big chop, in terms of um, jobs, in terms of... Um, you know, activism, things like that in terms of identity, but every story is also so, so different. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I would, you know, I got to the point where I was just, it was really hard for me to stop even at a hundred just because I'm like, I know that there are so many more stories out there and, you know, everybody who I interviewed, I learned something from, you know, and that was really beautiful. And so I got, I think I got a lot out of it, you know, and so I feel really lucky. Yeah. Um, Cause like everybody had something new to teach me and, you know, therefore teach my sister and everybody who reads this book. Um, 
And yeah, but I mean, I think a hundred, um, I mean, I think it's a good, it's a good amount. It's representative, you know, I mean, it is, um, it is mostly like a U.S. perspective because I didn't, you know, I didn't, um, Which is interview anybody That's outside intriguing. of the country. That I, I never even thought about that. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was talking to, um, a couple women who are Nigerian and they, you know, grew up in Nigeria and they were saying, they were like, yeah, we feel like all, you know, conversations about natural hair are always focused on African-American women or black women living in the U S and it's like, yeah, that, that is really interesting. You know? Um, Everybody got hair. And they do it every day. yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's damn. I never even thought about it, about that one, but I do think, I think most, you know, um, plights or stories about blackness are usually global, you know, conversations. I feel like most of them are pretty global conversations. So I do think that's interesting. And, um, and also opportunity for you too, you know, it's, it could be, another part to this it can be extended content you know to really Yeah. get to get into that international side of it and compare the two but i guess what was a was there anything that you came across within these interviews within these conversations that you have with any of these women and or young or younger women or whoever whatever the age range was was there anything that uh surprised you or something that really stuck with you or any story that really just touched you a lot Yeah, all of them. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, some of the stories I heard, um, you know, I was talking to this one woman who we actually went to high school together, um, went to middle school and high school together. And she was telling me she's um, she's Dominican. She's Afro-Dominican. And she was telling me about how her mom, um, you know, she so. she had decided this girl had decided like, you know, I think that I maybe want to want to start going natural. You know, I see some of my friends at school going natural. So I want to try that also. Um, and that one time her mom literally forced her on the ground and placed relaxing cream on her scalp. Um, Whoa. yeah. And so that's just like a really, I mean, I guess that's like, you know, one of the most extreme cases that I heard of, you know, and that that has to be really traumatizing in so many ways because Hell yes. it's like, You know, it's like my mom really thinks that I'm that unbeautiful that I need to like physically have this thing placed on my scalp, you know, but even, you know, even for people, um, you know, who didn't have that traumatizing of an experience, you know, like hearing little remarks from family members like, oh, when are you going to fix your hair, you know, or things like that. Um, and so one thing that I, yeah, I guess I was kind of. surprised um even though i maybe shouldn't offend just by like the amount of negativity that came from people's own families you know like the people Mm hmm who are supposed to support you the most and i know a lot of that you know comes out of fear you know nobody wants their kid to be discriminated against Yeah. and so straight hair is more quote-unquote acceptable professional whatever um but it still just is really sad you know taking away the autonomy from your kid. And then I guess another thing, um, another story that I thought was really interesting. Uh, this woman was, you know, she was like, yeah, I think all the time about, you know, my Afro as my identity and the Afro as ego as the self. And, um, you know, she was talking about the Afro and how it's political and it's also social and, um, how the Afro being political is, 
is in some ways a good thing because, you know, it shows a part of your identity. It shows like I'm black and I'm proud and I, you know, I mean, for a lot of people, it shows, you know, I'm down for black pride and all that. Um, mm -hmm. But then it can also be problematic to make black hair political because then blackness becomes political Political. and like our yeah <laughs> I'm, and I'm our with you become, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like our lives become political you know Everything and it's like done. oh do black people deserve this do black people deserve to not be shot by police you know whatever yeah. Yeah. um and so like she said like that is a scary place to go and so i don't know if that was really surprising to me but it was just sort of mind-blowing because i hadn't thought of it in that way before and, and you know what what's crazy is i think um I think I hear so many, I hear, I've heard so many different conversations in, in similar to what you're talking about. And I think we as black people, the reason why my tagline to, you know, this show is the soulfully conscious podcast for humans, simply being humans is because I feel that your work is informing the humanness of us. You know, we all have, and I believe, you know, the, your work can be consumed by anyone to build and gain understanding, even if they don't, even if it truly doesn't apply to them. Um, and I think that's what makes it a beautiful thing because you have to get past the, uh, the cultural ethnic and color shell that you kind of come into this world with and understand that you're still human. And, um, and I think we always, I think when it comes to blackness, because we're quote unquote magical, because we're quote unquote excellent, that we just can't be regular. Like we can't just love and have made a choice in this day to just have locks and not have locks, to have your hair long and or to have it short. And for that to not be seen as, oh, there got to be a reason attached to this. Oh, you must have just went through a breakup or you must, oh, you must be trying to, you know, uh. I guess exert some political agenda point because it's like, yeah. damn, what is the pressure on something that's just a part of me? You know, if I start wearing a watch, you ain't gonna be like, oh, what you must have been late a lot, and you must be trying to <laughs> like. <laughs> if I change a thing about myself, other anything else about myself, it may not warrant the same response. But when I change my hair, it always is a, uh, it's always a startling thing for people. It's always a, a moment for conversation because you couldn't have made this quote unquote not even permanent change most of the time. Um most of the time because hair can a lot of a lot of people, especially for women, hair grow back. It'll grow back. Yeah. It'll be fine. It's all good. Y'all don't have to worry about balding. It's all cool. So, <laughs> so do what you want for all of your life. And I think that's that I think is the part that I always thought was interesting, but I always feel that that's a reason to fight for the normalization of natural hair and the normalization of women just doing what the hell they want to do with it. They can just, you know, they can be natural and still wear weaves and, and be natural and still do this, be natural and chop it all off, regardless of how long it is. Um, and, and it's like, cause people literally try to project this whole thing of like, Oh, you must've did that for this and that. And I, I've never understood that, but I also think I've tried to, you know, live my life in a sense of like, I got to remember that I'm, I'm human. I got to remember that I'm in transition. I got to remember that I'm not always going to just be this excellent being walking this earth. Cause I just come out as, into this world as just a person, just as a human. And I think, um, that's the, I think that's where a lot of what your work is kind of informing on to really get into the humanness of what you are. You 
have 100 people that you can look at these stories on, find similarities, see things in new perspectives. And I think that that's the, uh, the beauty of it all, because regardless of if it was 100 to 1,000, you're still going to find those, you know, we still are all talking about the exact same thing, which makes us all so much more alike than we are different. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's truly a beautiful thing. I do want to know, before I let you go, um, I guess uh, more about kind of, you know, the release of the book or the collection, or I'm not sure exactly what you what you kind of, I guess, want to call it. I guess, it's, I guess it'll be a book or uh, mm-hmm. a collection of stories. Yeah. Um, oh, just definitely let, you know, I want you to, inform me on like I guess when it's coming out are you playing a book tour are you planning like some cool pop-ups are you doing anything locally within uh, the DC area to kind of you know inaugurate it have I missed all of this and if so how did it go <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah because yeah, for you know just a matter of timing um but I, I would love to know kind of you know what is your pro- I guess your kind of process on you know putting this out publishing this and all those different things too like, I guess I want to know where you are with that or if it's already happened. Yeah, um, you haven't missed anything. Great. Um, <laughs> so um, the book is going to come out in spring 2020. Okay. Um, so in a few months. And I are am. Are you excited? I am so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> um, I definitely do plan on doing um events like i know i want to have a release party in dc okay um one in new york because a lot of the women i photographed are also in new york um and then a couple other places as well hopefully and then i would love to do um a book tour so i've been looking into like local bookstores Mm -hmm. um cafes places like that trying to make connections um because i would really love to i would really love to travel with this book um and share it you know sort of across the country and even um hopefully you know internationally as well i'm getting the book translated into french spanish and portuguese mm. um, yeah I like that. thank you i like that i like that I, 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 I um i think um that's a beautiful thing so it will there be a i guess a kind of um some type of digital uh, or uh, accompanying component to it? Because I know you have a, like a trailer to the film and you're, you're a filmmaker. So mm-hmm. are you, do you plan on, I guess, publishing any any visual as well or any type of, um, I guess, any type of documentary or any of those types of things to accompany this? Or would, you, or would, would this be kind of where this begins and ends? Yeah, so I mean, I have a ton of I have a ton of footage because all the interviews I um, or most of the interviews I uh, you know video recorded them, and so uh-huh. I think at some point it would be cool. Um, I would like to put that together in a documentary, but I don't have any plans for that. I'm sort I've sort of been putting all of my energy into the book for right now, but I do uh-huh. have um, I do have like a like social media so. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I've been sort of connecting with the natural hair community, and I've been posting daily photos of um, black women with natural hair, along with quotes of why they love their natural hair. Um, And then I also have a website, which is 
dearchloe.com, like so D-E-A-R-K-H-L-O-E.com. Mm -hmm. And um, I have a couple stories up there and people can also sign up for updates to learn more about the book, to get um, updates about when it's going to come out, where the events are going to be, things like that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you. I, I think, um, I think, because I, I thought about, I thought about asking you something that I took back because in my mind, feel like I just answered it for myself because I just know the necessity of what this is because I feel that you have so many so many people who are talking about this now who are talking about natural hair and all those different things but I think to normalize and to truly make something into something that's going to be around and that is just spoken about in even deeper and to further the conversation I think things that like what you're doing and compiling and something I haven't I haven't seen before and I see this just being something that can just be on everyone's you know coffee table ready to ready for people to pop it open and see kind of you know what's this this looks draws you know draws me in to see kind of what this is about but also something that could be a gift and passed down and kept and just kind of kept as a keepsake within families and generations and generations of of men and women because i do believe that uh -huh. there is um an opportunity within this to um to teach and inspire young men as well to not only express themselves with their hair but also to appreciate the expression of that women um exemplify with their hair and um because i do believe that there is this there is this sad uh perpetuation of um of trauma as well that I think um, a lot of men have perpetuated throughout history in terms of just creating, you know, kind of feeding into insecurities that they may not even know are there by, you know, teasing women for their hair texture and all those different things. So I do believe that this content is something that can truly, you know, mend and mend a generation to possibly, you know, cancel some of those different, you know, stereotypes and truly think within a new uh within a new side of their minds and for the paradigm to really shift into a way where we're celebrating women for all the things that they do with their hair celebrating women for their skin tone their texture of hair and all the things that they want to do to express in the most simplest of ways not just because it serves us in any way as men but solely because they deserve to just have complete agency um over all the things that they do regardless and without us in mind at all. <laughs> it's like, we just, we're, <laughs> we're here, we're here to, you know, to truly just, I feel like we're here to truly appreciate and interact and bring our energies into, bring our energies into the same space with each other instead of us trying to dictate like this don't look good. I don't like this. And, you know, I think women look better when they do it. I mean, it doesn't really matter. And then, and, and does, does your opinion really matter? Because, and also, do you really even know the difference? <laughs> like, do you, can you really even speak <laughs> to what it is uh, that women are even doing to their hair to even have this strong of opinion? Um, mm -hmm. I don't think they really do. I know they don't. Um, yeah. And the only reason why I have any knowledge on it is because I have hair and I got to be in these aisles too asking questions mm -hmm. uh, before I do something <laughs> crazy to my own hair, you know? But <laughs> again, before you go, definitely give everyone um, all of your, uh, all the ways that they can follow you, all the ways they can contact, get in contact with you um, and all the work that you've done thus far. 
Yeah, so um, you can follow the Dear Chloe social media pages. So the Instagram is Dear underscore Chloe. So D-E-A-R underscore K-H-L-O-E, Dear underscore Chloe. And then the Twitter page for the book is uh, just Dear Chloe, all one word. And then um, on uh, my website, you can find my website at dearchloe.com so again d-e-a-r-k-h-l-o-e.com and there you can sign up for updates about the book um you can see stories you can also uh connect to my social media through through there as well um and also reach out if you have any questions about the book or if you have any thoughts um i always love talking to people about natural hair so i would love to get feedback to get different opinions and to have conversations to continue the conversation i loved it i loved it i loved it and i applaud you yet again on your dedication to this your energy that you put into this um the time sweat and labor that you put over this because it's um obviously comes from a place of love for your own loved ones and that you've expounded out um into something that could be something for everyone and, um, and, and, you know, cause you could have been selfish with it. You know, you could have just did something nice for your sister and, um, something just for her to see. Um, but you shared it. And I think, um, I applaud you for that because enough people got to get out their own way and understand that some things that they come up with and the ideas they come with are things that they should pursue. And I'm glad I'm proud and glad to know, to be, to be a person that knows you and can tell you that exactly what you imagine is exactly what the world needs. Thank you so much. That means a lot. That's really, really nice. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, if you don't know now, you know, this is the Soulfully Conscious Podcast for Humans Simply Being Humans. If you want to follow and support the Simply King Podcast, you can do so by following the Simply King Pod page on IG, the Simply King Podcast page on Facebook. Follow my personal page, Kings underscore memoirs on all platforms. Reach out to me. Make sure you like, make sure you follow, subscribe, review, rate, and make sure you share with your friends. Don't be stingy with this. If you like this, if you enjoyed this, don't play with this. Go ahead and give it up to somebody else. Let them make, share the wealth, you know? So make sure you follow St. Clair and certainly support Dear Chloe. It's coming out next year. So make sure you get your copy and make sure you also get another copy for somebody else. Why not? You know, go ahead. Make it a gift thing. So love y'all, love y'all, love y'all. Again, I'll say this is a Soulfully Conscious Podcast for humans simply being humans. I'm Rodney Perry, also known as King, and this is Simply King. Peace. Not even in that Florida water Not even in that Florida water In that Florida water